What does it mean that this is a program of rigorous honesty? How have you been dishonest to others and to yourself? And what new understanding of honesty have you found in recovery? Welcome to episode 175 of The Recovery Show. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I'm your host today. I found a workshop, recording of a workshop on honesty. It was given by Michelle R. and Kim G. at the 2013 Journey to Serenity Festival in Saskatchewan. I particularly liked the study questions that they pose just before the breakout session, and then you'll hear some responses to those questions at the end of the recording. And I hope you find something interesting and helpful in this workshop. So let's listen. So good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the workshop entitled Honesty, the Road to Reality. Um, I am one of your co-facilitators today. My name is Michelle, and I'm an alcoholic. And I'm Kim, and I'm a grateful member of Al-Anon. Hi, Kim. So um, I really wanted to do a workshop this year. Actually, I didn't really want to, but every time they asked for volunteers, I was feeling com- this uh, drive to volunteer about some inventory, maybe step 10, something to do with that. But it wasn't coming together for me. And then suddenly at one of the meetings, they said, well, how about Honesty, the Road Reality? That's a great title. And I was like, hey, I think that has a lot to do with step 10. That Maybe that's what I'm kind of being drawn towards. And I whispered to Michelle, would you want to do this with me? And then we could do it together. And now we've been traveling together on the road to reality. So I hope uh, we're going to do some sharing and talking. We're going to give you some sheets to take home. And in the middle, we'll be doing a workshop part where you get to look at some quotes and chat amongst yourselves. And uh, we are recording the session so that you can take the tape home. Uh, I guess CD, welcome to the new millennium. <laughs> but... Uh, so if you share at the microphone, it will be recorded, but we'll have an option in the middle where uh, it can be quiet time. Uh, so don't worry about whether or not it's um, being recorded. Just know that if you do come to share in the microphone that you will be on the CDs. So I want to make that clear up front that we keep the confidence of Elanon, but it is a recorded session. So. So, start with your sharing. Okay. So, yes, Loretta. Okay. It does not attach. Yeah. So you just gonna have to be loud. Okay. Thank you. And was that a hint I should be quieter? <laughs> okay. I'm used to talking to old people, so I really know how to project my voice. So, um, 
Just a little bit about how I come to be here. I actually started uh, in the 12-step program of Al-Anon about 20... Oh, i, I got to stay close to here, right? Okay. I, I like to wander. I started in Al-Anon probably about 25 years ago or something like that because I was married to an alcoholic. And I went to Al-Anon, and Al-Anon saved my life. Uh, I remember I went to my first meeting, and it was the Eastview group, and they had a newcomers group. And you were they gave you a little spiel about Al-Anon, then they asked if you had any questions. And I said, yes, I do. I want to know if there's any good reason why I shouldn't just stick a knife in between his ribs while he's sleeping and be done with it. And they said, oh, dear, just keep coming back. <laughs> It, it, based on that first question, which I'm sure none of you lovely people said at your first Al-Anon, it wasn't much of a surprise to anyone except for me maybe that I eventually ended up in Alcoholics Anonymous a few years later. And, um, so I'm here as someone who has been in Al-Anon, I'm a bit of a backslidden Al-Anon. Every year I come to this thing and think, I need to go to more Al-Anon meetings. So hopefully I'll see you out there soon. But uh, the work that I've done here in this workshop has been primarily focused on working the steps through AA, through the program of recovery in AA. So that's how I come to be here. On March 3rd, I will be 20 years sober. And every year at the Roundup, I'm annoyed because I miss out on a big date by two weeks. And I think if only I would have sobered up before that I could stand up in the sobriety countdown. So if that alone doesn't convince you that I qualify as an alcoholic, then nothing will. Okay, and so we balance each other off because I'm the codependent person that's mellow and quiet, and I would never admit to somebody that I wanted to stab my spouse, whether it was true or not, <laughs> before program. Now my sponsor would know if that was the case, and I'm not saying it is. <laughs> um, so I can, I could basically to have you listen to Bryce's story, take out the part about being, having a relationship with an exotic dancer or having a beard. And it's pretty much the same kind of story. <laughs> um, I came from a family where just things were off and I wasn't sure exactly why. Um, we definitely followed the don't feel, don't, I keep thinking that you, the mic is on to talk to you. Can you hear me now? Yeah. So don't feel, don't share what's happening. Just don't tell people what's really going on. You have to pretend that life is really great on outside of the home. And then inside, if no one else is there from outside the family, you just kind of wandered around on your, on your own business or under acute surveillance. There was like no in between of those two points. And you, so you couldn't really be honest outside the home because we had to keep up this idea about what was or was not going on. And you couldn't be honest inside the home because we never knew, I never knew what kind of mood my parents would be in. Would it be a day where things would be funny? Would it be a day where there's a hair trigger temper? Um, so I could often, as a codependent with developing those skills early, I could often tell 
what kind of mood was in the house and what kind of day it was, but you could never really be sure. So it was safer just not to bother trying to be honest. And in fact, it was, uh, I was often encouraged to be dishonest, to, you know, say things were good when they weren't, or to say I understood what was going on, or I understood a really bizarre explanation for something, you know. Um, and so I think part of the problem for, for me was I was told I would see something and I would recognize it as a truth, but I was told that's not what's happening. So, or I was told that maybe I wasn't remembering that, or maybe I dreamt that. So my sense of reality became really distorted, and it wasn't easy to be honest because my perception of reality was not clear, and the being honest wasn't rewarded. But at the same time, my family had a really strict moral code about being honest, and so I always did pride myself about being an honest person. And uh, when I came to the program, that was one of my biggest surprises, is finding out how much of my life I lived in deception and or denial, which is a form of dishonesty. And uh, I don't want to uh, go right into uh, what I'm going to be sharing later, but as part of my uh, history, I guess, and coming to Al-Anon, I thought that um, a lot of what I did in being dishonest was being nice or being kind, that that was just part of keeping good relations and not having conflict, is uh, just saying the, what the person needed to hear or what kept things going smoothly. And I didn't realize that was dishonesty. I thought that was just the way life was supposed to be, that that was just good manners um, and I started to find out in Al-Anon that that's actually a form of denial and a form of dishonesty that is not healthy and it's not uh, good for your fat, for you or being in a unit. Um, and it's just, it still is kind of a, a mind blower for me that what I, that my perception was just so skewed. Um, but, I think listening, having prepared for this workshop on honesty and listening to the rest of the talks, it was like, wow, this honesty is really a foundational. It's not just a principle of it, of the program, but it's a foundational piece um, of everything else that we're doing. We we need to and have that honesty when we think about that rigorous honesty. It really just underlies all the rest of what I've learned in the program and and what I need to do. But it still doesn't come easy for me because even though I do think of myself as an honest person, I still hate conflict and I still want to try and have things be running smoothly in, in that way. But that's control. So I'm powerless over that side of things. And I need to just keep that every day my inventory. I have to ask myself, have I been honest through this day? Where were the times where I was tempted not to be honest? So... Uh, it's, I think that's what my higher power does is say, you should do this and look at that because that's something that I need to figure out. And I love Al-Anon. I can come here and learn as I do it and not say, I'm a big expert on honesty. I'm just a person in Al-Anon who's tried to figure out honesty on my journey and willing to share it. So, Do you have something to put in there? You want me to go on to the next thing? Okay. All right. So um, 
we are going to work, talk through the steps and look at the principle of honesty in, in how it comes into each one. As I says on the handout, um, that often when we start to thinking about honesty, we only think about that is we need to be honest with others in our communication. We need to, like they say, say what you mean, um, mean what you say. And our slogan, think, is, is it thoughtful, honest, intelligent, necessary, and kind? So honest is right in there. We have to ask ourselves before we communicate, is this an honest thing I'm about to say, or is there something else going on behind it? But once we started looking at honesty, we could see that it really was the, the uh, factor that we try to bring into the fabric of our lives and make all the steps work together. So in step one, two, and three, we build that foundation that helps us to trust that we have a higher power and that we can't afford to be honest, that God cares for us no matter what, and um, it's safe to go ahead and be honest. One of the speakers yesterday mentioned that tr- or honesty was the main principle of step one. Um, and I think I, I hadn't thought of it that way, and I appreciated hearing that. And to me, it's a, you admit that, so it, 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 it is honesty. But for, to me, I didn't get to that point till step four. It took me all the way to step four to really dig into my life and become honest with where I was at and what was going on. Um, and so in step four, we make a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. And that requires honesty if we want it to be effective. So I use the blueprint for progress to do my step four. And actually, I tried a bunch of different things, but step four, the very second section in the Blueprint for Progress is honesty. If you read Blueprint for Progress, it starts by saying that step four is an exercise in perception, a way to distinguish between what works in our lives and what is no longer useful or necessary. Being aware of what we did yesterday can help us understand and accept who we are today. So tomorrow, we can become the people we want to be. Initially, our only task is to be as honest as we can. If we are truly honest, we will find out certain things we did wrong and identify some of the people to who we owe amends. So basically, the only criteria of that step is to be honest, to be honest with ourselves and to be that create leads to that fearlessness and that searching that we can really dig into it. Um, Al-Anon works and some other literature uses the term self-honesty. And I think that was my problem too, is that it's hard to just look and see for myself. Um, how can I be honest with myself? And what have I hidden? What are my hidden secrets? Um, I love that term that the secrets that we keep are not only secrets from others, but secrets from ourself. Um, when I was doing my, uh, getting ready to do my first fifth step, I asked myself, 
is there a secret that I don't want to tell? And I found that I did have still one secret that I was kind of keeping in my pocket on that. And I thought that is the one that I have to tell for sure. Anything else on my list, if I'm comfortable enough to tell it, it's important for me to tell. But the secret that I still think I should keep to myself is the one that's weighing on me and I need to, to let it go. In step four in the past, re- or sorry, in the uh, blueprint to progress, they ask us to explore dishonesty as a part of our lives in our childhood. How did I fail to tell the truth as a child? I, and that question really got me started at thinking, what do you mean? Like, what, what, what truths can't you tell as a kid? And so that what could I not say about my childhood? What could I not say to my parents? And then it moves into dishonesty as an adult. What kind of specific examples do you have? How have you maybe not been honest? And then this becomes dishonest habits. Um, some of the questions that the past asks, or sorry, progress asks, is what stories do I pass on without checking if they are true? And to me, that's the definition of gossip. Um, one of the definitions of gossip. And I was thinking, I didn't think of myself as a gossip, but I was in a family where people didn't talk to each other about things. We talked to, I talked to my brother about something who would talk to my brother who would talk to my mother. Um, and so, but we didn't always know if it was true or not. And that's not really being honest. I couldn't say, Mom, I feel like this about this event. I had to complain to my brother who complained to someone else. So we couldn't be honest about it. It was indirect instead of direct. How do I compliment people when I feel they've done a good job? It's like, what's this doing in honesty? But I think it ask, was asking me, am I comfortable enough to speak up and, and give someone praise for something that they've done? For me, as a codependent person, the opposite is more likely true, too. How do I uh, discuss something with a person if I feel like it isn't a good job at work, maybe, or in my home? Um, I would rather do something over for someone than have bothered them or risk them confront- having a confrontation by saying I really didn't, that there was some problem with what had happened or that I was uncomfortable with something. And again, I didn't realize that was dishonesty. Um, how can I tell the difference between the way things look to me and the way they really are? What? <laughs> I was really confused. There's more than one way that things really could be, that how I'm seeing it isn't how it really is. And again, what does that have to do with honesty? Um, and I think it's important in Al-Anon here that I'll put in another plug for getting a sponsor because those, the perspective of your sponsor and the eyeglasses they're wearing, for me, that was very different than the ones I brought to, to, uh, things. Okay. In my interactions with others, do I tell the truth or do I say what they want to hear most of the time and under what circumstances? So there it was right in the blueprint progress. I mustn't be the only person who was saying what people want to hear. And I realized I would start sentences by saying, 
I'll be honest. And that took a lot of courage. Someone once said, when you say, I'll be honest, the thing that follows is a lie. But for me, <laughs> when I'd say, I'll be honest, what I was really saying was, up to this point, I haven't really been telling you what I think, but I'm about to say the truth, and I'm kind of worried. Um, so that really shocked me because, like I said, I felt like I was an honest person. And here I am, it takes so much courage for me to say I'm going to be honest about something and realizing that almost all the rest of my participation in conversations had not been an honest exchange. It hadn't been what I thought or felt or really wanted to share. So in my own blueprint, I wrote, it asks you after all these questions to summarize what you find about this area in your life. I wrote, I pride myself on being honest, and in many ways I am. However, in other ways, I duck the truth. It has become so serious that I don't always even recognize the truth. This leads me to living in a false reality. Fear of facing the truth has led to isolation and loneliness, as well as inauthentic relationships. So I wasn't expressing how I really felt about things with my friends. I was worried people would leave if I had true um, communication with them. And so those relationships were really tenuous then because people were not um, being with me for who I really was and what was really going on through my mind. Now, once I got all this down, it's on to step five. Well, now that's... Uh, total requires thorough honesty about ourselves. Um, the new legacy book says, if we are thoroughly honest about ourselves, we can find relief from the crushing hold of disease of alcoholism. The good news for me was God already knew what was going on, so I was easy to be honest with God. I could admit and accept myself because I'd done my step four. But telling another person was going to be a lot harder. I had kept up a facade, just like in my family, and now I was going to go tell somebody that this was fake, that it wasn't true. But the person that had been in Elnon for a long time, she was ready, she heard everything, and she was just totally accepting. And that helped me to accept myself and be able to say, yeah, in Elnon, I could be myself, I can be a mess. I can be lost, I can be unsure, and it doesn't matter. In uh, that Reaching for Personal Freedom, someone shared that after step five, I was free to let go of the weight of the past, which allowed me to change my behaviors in the future. Carrying the heavy burden of secrets was wearisome, and putting the burden down was a difficult risk. However, taking the risk to be honest was worth it because step five is the beginning of a new freedom. And I really felt like that when I walked away from my step five. I felt like I'd been honest. I'd put out that the secrets that I carried and I was okay and I could carry on. The 
questions in the, the new legacy book about step five are, what walls have I built to hide the person I am from others? So this, this mis, miscommunication or this perceptions um, can keep who I really am. Sometimes someone mentioned earlier that wall is an extroversion. For me, it was the same skill I learned as a child, which is hiding out in plain sight by being quiet, skirting the edges, and not, and speaking, being a listener and speaking whatever that person wanted to hear. I could participate in a conversation on anything without actually having an opinion. How does honestly sharing the secrets of my past help me to recover from the emotional damage I endured? And that's a question that we have to just each answer for ourselves. But for me, it was just taking that one step towards putting my visibility back on and just becoming able to step out and say, okay, this is who I am and this is how I'm, how I'm going to live my life and this is what I believe. Um, so I find it's still really the thing I struggle with most. I wouldn't have thought honesty would have been even on my list, but it's being my real, true self, being my authentic self, and just carrying forward with that in all of my interactions, being brave enough and trusting enough to let people know the real me, to trust that I can have healthy relationships where people can disagree and I can have a conflict and if they stay or go, I'll still survive. Um, and to me, that is all related to just having that courage to be honest and having that faith in my higher power from step three that I've always got that care and I've been created in a special way. And so that I can be honest about that. And that is my, the power of the program to create each of us in our own way so that we can each go out and share that power. One of the things that came to my mind when you were speaking, Kim, about honesty was when I first came into Al-Anon and then into AA, um, I really struggled with many, many aspects of these 12 steps. But I did one thing. I gave myself one gift that I think has allowed me to survive and even thrive in my life. And that was I gave myself the gift of being honest in a meeting. A lot of my life, I too grew up in an alcoholic home, and a lot of my life was uh, not, it wasn't safe to say who I was or what was going on in my house. And then when I was living in a violent alcoholic family with a violent alcoholic spouse, I didn't have anybody I could talk to about that. But I made a decision that when I went to the meeting, for that hour, I was going to be honest. And there were times when it was very, very challenging. One of the things I found challenging, and I still sometimes find challenging today, is I'll be in a meeting and I feel pressure to be 
uplifting or to say something that sounds wise. Does anybody else ever struggle with that in a meeting? So, you know, here's one example of, of what's often happened to me is, um, you know, I, I've joined home groups in AA that didn't have a lot of women. And what happens in AA is that when women start coming to a meeting, more women start coming, right? And then newcomers come. And what ends up happening is if you're a woman with any kind of halfways decent sobriety, you end up sponsoring everybody. So I would go to a meeting and then I would really want to go there and say, my husband's an idiot and I felt like drinking and I can't stand my children and, you know, this is all insane. I can't stand my life. But I'd be there and there would be Polly and Mary and Susie who were had about two minutes of sobriety and I would be like, oh, crap, I can't say anything, right? And then I would leave the meeting and go carrying that stuff. I think Bryson talked yesterday about the backpack, right? And I would carry the backpack. And I still struggle with that now, but for for the most part, I gave myself the gift of one hour of honesty when I went to that meeting. And there was times in sobriety when I've been sober a few years when I had the most crushing depression. And if any of you have ever suffered from depression, I had the worst depression. And I would go to a meeting and I would sit there and I couldn't smile and I couldn't say hi to anybody. And when it came my turn to talk, a voice in my head would say, Michelle, just say, you'll pass. Just say, I'm Michelle, I'm an alcoholic, and I'll pass. But something made me say, I'm Michelle, I'm an alcoholic, and I feel like I want to die, and I'm scared I'm going to kill myself when this meeting is over. And I said those words, and that honesty kept me alive another day, because I wouldn't kill myself after the meeting. And somebody would give me a hug, or somebody would help me, and I had a friend who, who died several years ago, Harold, and Harold had the worst depression of anyone I've ever met. And that man was so brave. He had 30 some years of sobriety when he died. And he went to meeting week after week after week and people, you know, judged him and thought he was an idiot and called him, he called himself old weird Harold because he was kind of weird. And, he gave me the courage to keep going because I thought if Harold can stay sober week after week when he's got a noose hanging in his garage, I can do it. And that man saved my life. So by giving myself the gift of being honest in a meeting, I gave other people the gift of an open space to be honest too. And like I said, I still struggle with that sometimes. I get caught up in, oh, I've been sober a long time and I need to go to meetings and say something uplifting. Well, you know what? Life isn't always uplifting. And I've had some pretty hard times in sobriety. And I've needed to share that at meetings. I've needed to go to meetings and cry. And you know what? I haven't been judged. People have allowed me to be who I am and to feel what I need to feel. And that's been an amazing gift. But it all started with that one commitment. I'm going to be honest for this one hour in this one room. And that's where it started for me. I wanted to focus just a little bit before we break for our own small group discussions and talk about steps 9 and 10 and how they relate to honesty. As I was preparing for this workshop, it became very clear to me that 
within AA, there's kind of language floating around the rooms that isn't really found in our literature. And Al-Anon people do a much better job, I think, of saying, this is what our literature says. It's not that you, you know, you can't have your own thoughts, but there's a foundation there. Whereas in AA, because we don't like rules, we like to just make up stuff and pretend that, you know, Bill W. said when he said no such thing, right? And let's remember, Bill W. was kind of whacked. Let's just keep that in mind, right? The guy had issues. So... Step eight and nine in, in, in AA and in our 12 steps that talks about it. I've heard people say in meetings, and I'm probably going to get myself in trouble, but that's okay. I've heard people say in meetings, well, I don't have to make amends to that person. If God puts them in my path, I'll do it. Like God is going to get a chartered helicopter and take the person from grade five who you beat up every day and drop them right in your path and then you'll do the amend. And the literature actually says that we need to, A, pray for willingness to make amends to that person, and B, summon up our courage, and it's the words say, head straight for them in all honesty to make that amend. Wow, that sucks. I would rather wait around for that old boyfriend I had who lives in Medicine Hat to just show up in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, and I'll make my amend. But that's not what it says that we need to do. And it's very clear that the only reason we don't make an amend is if it's going to harm harm someone other than myself. And I'm really glad that Sean um, shared his story about Revenue Canada, because I've been his friend a long time, and he did it. He paid that sucker off bit by bit by bit. And uh, he took any crappy job that he could take in order to pay that bill. And that's what the program teaches us. We don't make amends just when it's expedient or convenient. We do it because it's the right thing to do. Step nine is also not designed for us to be free of guilt or to tie up loose ends in our life that might be bothering us when we close our eyes. Again, it says that the real purpose of step nine is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. Working these 12 steps is so much easier when it's just about making me feel good. But here they are trying to say that the real reason to work the steps of recovery is so that we can be of usefulness to God and to other people. I don't know about you, but I like people as a concept. Not so much as a reality. And yet, this is what our program asks us to do, to ask ourselves, how can I be useful to the people around me? It is in the process of doing step nine that we begin to experience the promises of the program that are found in the big book of AA. And I'm not sure exactly what the Al-Anon promises or equivalent might be, 
But one of the biggest things that's come true for me is the promise that says we will intuitively know how to handle situations that used to baffle us. And for me, that has been the greatest gift of my recovery is that some of the time, in fact, most of the time now, I know how to do the right thing. I know how to do the right thing. And doing the right thing always involves being loving. Now, I'm not saying I always do the right thing. I just know how to do the right thing. (laughs) And more times than I used to, I actually sometimes do the right thing. I don't have Kim's problem about I don't want to say anything that nobody does things right. I'm like, this sink is a mess. There's hairs in here and pick up your dirty laundry. And so I have to learn other issues about saying things in love. But, you know, progress, not perfection, right? Step 10, when we is the process of continuing to take personal inventory and it, um, the, the literature talks about doing step 10 in a number of different ways, a spot check inventory during the day. And it tells us to do it whenever we feel restless, irritable, and discontent. And I don't know about you, but I can feel restless, irritable, and discontent and be capable of ruining my life before I even have my first cup of coffee some days, right? Step 10 is designed to prevent us from having an emotional hangover, from dealing with those things that we did yesterday, those things we said and did that we're sorry for. The spot check inventory, the moment of stopping during the day to say, hey, wait a minute, why don't I feel good? What's going on with me? Helps us to stop and say, My life, my day is not on the track that I want it to be, and I need to do something different. AA also invites us to do a daily inventory at the end of the day, to go to bed and to think about how we spent our day, about our thoughts and our behavior. What did we do? Where might we need to change things? Where did we critique or put down someone else and try to hide it by saying we're just trying to be helpful or give constructive criticism. It also tells us that one of the greatest dangers that we have is to is the tendency to hide a bad motive under a good motive. And when I read that, it was like you took a dagger right to my heart because I am the queen of covering up bad stuff with something that sounds real pretty. I think it's also important in the, on the road to reality to be willing to continue to take stock of our life as a whole. These are some of the questions that I ask myself on an ongoing basis as I try and work steps 10, 11, and 12. One, do I spend a good amount of time on things that make the world a more loving place? Two, where am I spending energy on people, places, and things that are draining rather than life-giving? Three, do I appreciate what I have rather than on focusing on what I don't have? 
Four, am I committed to participating in a community? Examples are a 12-step home group or service work as a volunteer, as a member of a faith community or some kind of community organization. This is a big one for me as, a, as an Al-Anon person. Five, am I willing to receive as well as to give? And six, is my higher power's opinion of me the one that I value most in my life? As, as we are willing to ask ourselves these questions and to honestly reflect on them, we find ourselves well into a spiritual program of living and developing what I call God consciousness or a God-centered life, where our higher power is the one that helps us to be honest and to live the lives that we are called to live. Really appreciated what Sean said. If I thought that... uh I could have guessed in those first years of recovery, if I would have written down what I asked for myself, it certainly would have looked a lot different than what I have today. The last thing I want to say about that before we break into our groups for some discussion is that honesty for me and a willingness to serve God and my fellows has been the only cure that I've ever found for my other major disease, which is the disease of self-pity. I fight self-pity every single day of my life. And I have more or less reasons than everyone else to feel sorry for myself. But working the steps of these programs of these, of these programs tells me that if I want to live the God-centered life, I must be honest and I must fit myself for maximum service of God to my fellows. And I can't do that laying on the couch feeling sorry for myself and nursing resentment like a good bottle of vodka. We would invite people to come up from their tables and to share. And we have a few minutes to do that. So if someone would like to come forward and share some wisdom from the table, that would be lovely. Let's get this party started. Okay, I'm not really sure what my table talked about, so. (laughs) We were talking about honesty. Um, And how freeing it is when you can be honest. But, you know, it definitely came up about how safe it is in a meeting to be honest because you know you have a pretty good idea of what the reaction will be right and it's not going to be i told you so you know any of that right there's no judgment so you know when you're when i'm in my outside the room world you know where i spend most of my life like the rest of you it's really hard to sometimes be honest and not think about not overthink it maybe, what's the reaction going to be, how are they going to take it, right? So it's about trust, trusting that it's okay, you know, whatever their reaction is, if I'm being truthful and it's not intended to be, I'm not intending to hurt somebody, then being honest feels good. And I'm not responsible for how their reaction will be in that, you know, when you go to make an amends to somebody, if I'm honest about what I did, what I'm owning, I'm not really doing it to get forgiveness or absolution. I'm just owning my crap in an honest way. And I'm not responsible for how the other person takes that. 
and you know if I don't do it with malice and ill intent, um, and I trust that my higher power has my back, then it's okay for me to be honest in that situation. And our quote had something about courage, our second one. So it takes a lot of courage to be honest outside of these rooms. At least it does for for me. But it comes down to trusting that everything will be the way it's supposed to be. So thanks. Um, we had the first two quotes and uh, a few things that came out at our table. Uh, it's interesting, a few times this weekend we've heard about um, a disease of perception and um, just kind of interesting how we tend to talk a lot in, in meetings or in our literature about denial and look at it from that view. And that's sort of the opposite of honesty, right? But to use the word honesty compared to the word of denial, it's still the same issue, but it's just looking at it through a different lens from the different side. And I thought that was kind of an interesting way to look at the same issue and then maybe see it and think about it differently because otherwise you're always coming at it at the same direction. We also talked at our table about how, you know, the idea of being dishonest, um, there was times in our lives where that was necessary. It was survival. And so at that, those points in, in our childhood, um, it was necessary and it wasn't a bad thing. It was just what we needed to do. And, and we learned, you know, when it wasn't safe to be honest because we were with, you know, around people that didn't make that that safe and so to be in groups where it is safe and to learn that you know we're not those same children anymore that we can learn a new way and um with our our last quote we talked the idea that uh being honest is less harmful than being dishonest and from an al-anon perspective i think sometimes um when we first come into program, we can see everything that the alcoholic in our life did and the carnage that they left behind. And I think sometimes we forget about how damaging our behaviors can be. And it's easy for us to justify, well, we did that because of that person. But, um, you know, I was sharing about how I look back on when my kids were little and I have this, I used to have this image of me being super mom. I felt like I was a married single mother. And so I would rush home from work and I held a full-time job and I put food on the table and I paid the bills that weren't being paid. And I um, <laughs> would stay up all night, you know, to make sure that, you know, when he came home and left the car running in the middle of the road, I would go park it and, um, you know, and, and get the kids to all their activities. And, and, you know, and I had, you know, I was like, I was a superwoman, And yet my, my kids were talking one day and they were talking about, Oh, we remember all the yelling. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, they didn't remember, they didn't have this vision of this mom with the, the cape and the big S swooping in and feeding them and making sure, you know, like they didn't even really realize their dad was drinking because he was sleeping when they saw him, you know, they saw a crazy mom going, stop quiet, you know, and, and, go outside and don't wake up your father and get your shoes on. We got to go to, you know, and they just saw this craziness and I hadn't seen that part of it because I wasn't being honest about the thinking problem that I had. So, um, I just came and said something earlier on that just has resonated with me. Um, what stories do we pass on without checking if it's true? And, um, I started thinking about how I do that with myself. 
I have a self-image issue. I've had it my whole life. I was told that I'm fat and, and, and unattractive and that people only like people who are attractive and thin and nice. And so I believed that and I perpetuated that to everybody that I saw. I perpetuated that truth out, um, you know, believing that people didn't like me, believing that I wasn't good enough, believing that my parents thought that of me as well. And they, I mean, they love me to the best that they're physically capable of doing. What they told me and what was true were different things. And sometimes we grab hold of these truths that we, you know, we're so sure that they're true. But again, it's just that, that shift in our perspective, right? It's a shift in, I don't know, that can make me think of how sometimes we tell ourselves lies that we're so sure are true from, from a time that is long past and, and isn't true anymore. So anyways. I tried to get out of this. Um, problem is when you're with two other alcoholics, A, you don't get notes like you do at every other table. <laughs> but hey, um, the good with the bad, right? Uh, we actually started by, we focused on the number four, the quote around respecting others. Um, by swallowing our thoughts and feelings about potentially hot topics. And we started talking about motivations. You know, why is it that we are swallowing these, these, what we think are truths, right? Um, is it a, is there something underneath that, that we're layering? Let's be honest about this. And really, you're just trying to get whatever points you're trying to score in underneath, like you were talking about. Um, also about motivations like, and I think of myself, you know, emotionally frozen. We, we also talked about how men and women in general, I was mentioning a book that I had read that I, it was pretty, um, important to me about the seven principles of marriage. And it, it talked about how men and women as a generalization, uh, react differently. And we talked about communication. And so we really focused on the how and, and how with me in particular, when there's something hot, there's an issue. It's like, uh, it, it, they call it in the book being flooded and my emotions, like I get very, my adrenaline jacks right up and then it takes me a long time to come down. Whereas not so much with women as a generalization, they're able to get into the kind of the, the, the zone to speak a lot quicker. Now that's different. That is a generalization, but it certainly is true for me. And so the how of communication and the ability to connect without either going to the two extremes of either not saying anything or blowing um, that's where the challenge is, is to, to be able to do that. We talked about some ways that worked for, for us. Like one way that I, that works is writing stuff down the same kind of idea of the program, right? Where you take that little mini inventory and you, and you take that time away. Of course, the trick being, then you have to actually come back to it. You can't let the time go on too far and then just kind of go, Oh, well, that's past. Now I'm sure I'm, that's done with. That's never going to come up again. Uh, <laughs> strangely enough, that's where resentment seems to lie, right? Um, and, and in terms of the risk that's associated with that, the other thing we talked about at the end was around that. There's a couple of challenges with that. First of all, around the how of communication, but also what is that truth? And it relates to the second one about facing painful truths. Because sometimes you there, there's a truth that you will find on one day that seems completely true. That's That's my reality for that day. 
But then all of a sudden a little time passes and that's not the same truth anymore because circumstances have changed or something else is going on in your life. And so being able to see that truth for what it is is sometimes very challenging and especially the painful ones to admit them and then to continue to admit them are not always easy. And, and so, you know, I don't know, because we're alcoholics, we may have gone way off topic, but, uh, <laughs> but that's kind of where we wound up, um, around honesty and trying to figure that middle path from the extremes that often um, pull us in either direction in our lives. So. Okay. We have time for one more. I'm really sleep deprived, so this is going to sound amazingly brilliant or like babbling nonsense. So you can tell me later how I did. <laughs> so we discussed the third um the third quote. Um, so at our table, we discussed growing up in a dysfunctional home. Um, that's what we were taught. We were taught to rationalize and to minimize and not be honest. Like you're not allowed to have feelings. So um, we always have people distorting our reality. So it's hard to be honest with yourself when you don't trust yourself to know the truth. Um, when you see what you see and other people tell you, no, that's not what you're seeing. No, I'm not drunk. I'm just whatever. Um, yeah, we don't, we don't tend to trust ourselves because that's not what we are taught. Um, so we also grow up and perpetuate. And when our parents ask us, what were you doing? We'll give them half the truth. We'll tell them what they want to hear. <laughs> While I was out with these people doing this and you leave out the, the, the part they don't want to hear. Um, so I, I realized the, finally the harm once I got into a program, the harm that I was doing to others by not, uh, facing the truth. Um, I had a difficult time with my daughter this year because I found out that she wasn't the person I thought she was. That was devastating to me. So, um, if I just buried my head in the sand, it wouldn't go away. And of course, I'm causing her harm. So it was an excellent opportunity to, to share and be honest and to, I, I thank programs so much for being able to be that parent that, um, I want to be. And yeah, I'll keep working on it. But yeah, um, the ego obviously is there for self-preservation. So that's something that we have to fight all the time. Um, and if we pay really close attention, life always gives us lessons and shows us who we are. So we need to use program and learn to trust that. So that's what we shared at our table. Thank you. Well, thank you, everyone. It sounded like some really good discussion and sharing, and uh, thanks for joining us today. Michelle is going to lead us in a little closing closing ritual for us to take out with us and to wrap up before we uh, go on our separate ways to meet again later. So thank you very much. So each of you should have a either a rock or a seashell. And I think Jill needs one as well, Kim. So um, if you could just take that rock or that seashell and 
I thought we'd close with just a bit of a, a little meditation that hopefully will tie together what we've been discussing this afternoon and indeed over the last day and a half and have something to carry into our lives as we go. So I would invite you to hold your rock or your seashell, and if you're comfortable, you can close your eyes if it helps you to focus, and and if not, do as you feel comfortable. So the the rock or the seashell is hard on the outside. It is a lot like us. We often walk around in this world with a hard shell. But in my culture, we believe that everything has spirit and that everything is alive. Of course, in seashells, animals and creatures live inside of them, and they they live and they reproduce and they have full lives that many of us don't know about. But so too does the rock. Living things grow on the rock and grow inside the rock. It is a home for insects, and other little creatures. We can continue to present to the world this hard shell, and yet there are people in these rooms and our power greater than ourselves who see inside of us, who see all the beauty and the truth and the the gifts and the strengths that we have, the way that we were wonderfully and perfectly made. I would invite you as you go into the world to allow yourself to go into new places where people can see beyond the shell that you present to the world and to know that each one of us is beloved beloved by that power greater than ourselves who has made us perfect in form and in function. Thank you. So I always try to pick some music related to the topic, and it was was pretty easy today because there's a lot of songs about honesty from both sides um, of the equation, I guess. The first one that I want to highlight is by Depeche Mode. And I think I've used this song before, but it's called Policy of Truth. And this one presents the proposition that it's not always helpful to be honest. So we'll start with that one and then we'll move into some that are uh, more positive towards honesty. Some lyrics from this song. You had something to hide. Should have hidden it, shouldn't you? Now you're not satisfied with what you're being put through. It's just time to pay the price for not listening to advice and deciding in youth on the policy of truth. I think one of the things that I've found in recovery is that, yes, sometimes sometimes being honest leads to some consequences, but that generally those consequences are less than the ones that come to me when I try to live a lie when I try to hide a secret forever. It doesn't work for me. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, about what's happening in our meetings and in our lives this week. A lot of my recovery this week was focused on self-care. I had a a sort of a low-grade cold most of the week. It 
started to become evident actually before the weekend. I kind of pushed through some events that I really wanted to participate in on the weekend. And then Sunday it caught up to me to the extent that I did not have even the energy to go to my Sunday night Al-Anon meeting. and stayed home and, and sort of sat on the couch and, and watched some TV with my wife instead, which enabled me also to have access to Kleenex and to throat lozenges and, and all those things that I needed at that point. And then Monday for me was a holiday it's uh, in the U.S. It's a holiday labeled Columbus Day, or in some locales now Indigenous Peoples Day. My company celebrates that holiday, I think, because we're headquartered in New York, and it's a state holiday in New York or something. Anyway, so it was a holiday, and I had some plans of things I wanted to do, and I got out in the morning to do the first of those, which was actually to go get dog food because we were totally out of dog food and he hadn't even had breakfast yet. So that was the first thing I had to do. And by the end of that errand, when I got home, I was so tired. I just had to lie down and I spent basically the whole day lying in bed, which kind of bummed me out because, you know, it was a holiday and to be sick on holidays is no good. And I had made some plans with a friend to, to do something together and, he suggested Thursday as a day we could do it. And I said, well, I'll see if I can get the day off work. And I uh, rearranged a couple of meetings and was able to take the day off. And so I felt like that was sort of my holiday that I didn't get on Monday. So again, a little bit of taking care of myself, recognizing my needs and still taking it easy because the, the cold was not completely gone. So focus on taking it easy, take, focus on taking care of myself, I guess, is, is more the uh, what I was trying to say there. Saturday morning, I did make it to a meeting, and the topic of the table I sat at was Tradition 1. Tradition 1 says, Our common welfare should come first. Personal progress for the greatest number depends upon unity. And we had some good discussion about that, and I picked up on one of the sections in the book, Reaching for Personal Freedom, where there was a question or a reading about personal progress and about I don't have the reading right in front of me, but basically the the person who wrote it said that they had always put other people's progress in front of their own, taking care of other people in front of taking care of themselves. And, and that resonated with me, probably partly because of my experience where I was taking care of myself this week. Then last night, Sunday, went to my Sunday night meeting. We did the daily reading out of Courage to Change which is also about self-care, starts out, when I'm trying to tackle a tough problem or cope with a stressful situation and I've done all I can for the moment, what then? I can do something that will nurture my mind, body, or spirit. Goes on to give some examples. And again, a very, very good discussion around the table. And it just sort of capped off uh, the whole week of self-care with with several different aspects of it uh, from the program, which... It was really neat. Sunday morning, went to church and the sermon touched on acceptance of pain in our lives as necessary to growth and the ways in which we sometimes try to cover up, push down, hide from our pain, which some people do with drugs and alcohol and other people do in overachieving or in vegetating just mindless video games uh, or TV or something like that. 
And the night before, my wife and I had watched an episode of Grey's Anatomy where one of the one of the topics in the show was that pain is important and that it is necessary for us to pay attention to our pain, to know where it hurts, because that you know shows us the things that, that we might need to address. And if we ignore our pain, then it can get uh, our situation can get a lot worse. And this was sort of physically illustrated by a young girl who comes into the emergency room with injuries, and it turns out that she basically doesn't feel pain at all and has some very serious injuries because she tells people to punch her in the stomach to show that she doesn't feel pain, and that caused a, a huge, I think, aneurysm or something, and they had to operate on her. And there were lots, several other examples in the show of people facing up to their pain. And so those those two together also sort of formed a little theme for me in the week about recognizing reality. And then I heard this workshop on honesty and also, uh, you know, that's about recognizing what's real and not hiding from it. So another mini theme this week. Upcoming, I have a discussion with a listener who volunteered to share their story going to talk about faith and fear and a new topic that that came to me recently that I'm working on about how the program has helped me really discover who I am and maybe why that's a good thing. I think it's a good thing, generally speaking. You can join our conversation, you can leave a voicemail or send us an email and you can do that by calling 734-707-8795. You can call right now, 734-707-8795, and leave a voicemail. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at com. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about today's topic of honesty or any of our upcoming topics. And if you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. You can find out everything about the show at our website, which is therecoveryshow.com, which includes notes for each episode, occasional blog, links to the music we talk about, links to other recovery podcasts and websites. And also at therecoveryshow.com slash contact is all the information about how to contact us, how to be a guest on the show, and so on. I'm going to take a short break before looking at your voice and emails. The second musical selection, also available on the website, is the song Truth and Honesty by Aretha Franklin. Here's some lyrics. With truth and honesty, that's what we need to hold on to the good stuff we believe in. Before we land up sin sad and free, before we find that it's gone, we could pull it back together. Truth and honesty, open up your hands, show me your heart. Let's stay up till dawn and talk it out. Nothing concealed, no alibi, return into light. Before we start, then all we do is fall apart if I can see the sunlight in your eyes. We had, uh, had several voicemails this week, and I want to start with one from Suzanne. Hi, Spencer. This is Suzanne calling, and I'm currently in the Washington, D.C. area, but from Florida. I wanted to first thank you for this week's episode about meeting us where we are, because it's particularly germane to the circumstances of my life currently as I have been 
with some pretty significant qualifiers in my world. Recently, I came to the D.C. area to help uh, my parents make a transition to a new home from the home they've lived in for 48 years. It's been very hard on my mom, who likes to drink and is difficult for me to be around. In addition, my brother, who is a very active alcoholic, is staying with me at the home they vacated. And I am a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. So <laughs> given all of those uh, complex relationship connections, your podcast has been such a lifeline to meet me exactly where I am in relationship to some of the things that I need from the Al-Anon program. And um, I want to thank you for that so very much. I did email you uh, a few months ago and you did read my message on your show, which was really sweet, and the show is invaluable to me in my life and process. I thought maybe an interesting topic would be, you know, how Alcoholics Anonymous and Al-Anon fit together when you're in uh, a person of this kind of dual diagnosis. I am a little intimidated to go to Al-Anon and participate in a real way because I do feel like the enemy <laughs> in some capacity. So I struggle with that, which is, again, why your show is just a serious lifeline. So thank you again. And those are my thoughts. Keep up the great work. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Thank you, Suzanne. And uh, that's a, a great topic suggestion. Maybe I can gather some of my so-called double winner friends and we can have that discussion. I understand the feeling like the enemy, but Again, I'm just going to say the same thing that I say every time this topic comes up, which is, I at least I understand, and I think many of us, any, everybody who's been in Al-Anon for a while understands that alcoholics have lots of qualifiers, lots of other alcoholics in their life. And if that doesn't qualify you for Al-Anon, I don't know what would. I guess another thing that a number of my friends who are in both programs manage to do, and maybe this is not easy at the beginning, is to keep those two parts of their life separate and talk about the Al-Anon issues in Al-Anon. And sometimes it, it took me a long time to realize that somebody was actually in both programs when I only heard them in an Al-Anon meeting. So that might be one way that you would be able to come in and feel a little bit less like the enemy by focusing on the issues that are uh, relevant to the Al-Anon program when you're, when you're in those meetings. Just a thought. And again, thanks for the topic idea. Got another voicemail from Roberta. Hi, Spencer and all your lovely co-hosts. My name is Roberta. I'm from California. Just wanted to give a huge shout out to you all by saying thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my soul, from the bottom of my heart. See, I'm even getting emotional about it. Your recovery show has helped my recovery so much, and I pass that along in every meeting that I attend. Anybody that says, gosh, I wish I had a meeting on the road, or gosh, I'm like, guess what? I'd like, see me after the meeting. Let's talk about this. Let's, you know, would love to get you guys, quote, unquote, Alan on sanctioned or however that would be. But anyways, uh, you're doing an amazing job, and thank you. Thank you, thank you, and I'd love to host a show with you if in the near future, far future, whatever future. <laughs> but thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I can't say that word enough. So bye, Spencer. Thank you, Roberta, for for that. And really 
I need to say thank you to everybody who participates in this in this show with me, uh, all of my co-hosts, because I couldn't do it without you either. All those all those thank yous from from Roberta. Um, please, those of you who have have co-hosted with me in the past or who are thinking about co-hosting with me in the future, those are for you too. Uh, so I want to thank you, Roberta, for sharing the podcast with others and also modeling um, an appropriate way to do that in an Alana meeting context, which you said you say, hey, if you are interested, talk to me afterwards, because that's the time when we can share things that have helped us that are not uh, conference-approved literature. And as you mentioned also, this this podcast is not conference-approved literature. So I'm, I'm grateful that you share it, and I'm grateful that you do it in accordance with the uh, Eleanor traditions. Leslie sent us an email. I cannot tell you in words what your show has done for me. There have been so many times when I was so down and in such despair, and your calming voice, topics, and discussions brought me hope. Soon I will be able to donate to the show. There is one topic I would love to hear discussed. How to deal with when your loved one stops drinking but refuses to go to AA. There are times when I feel that living with that is just as bad, if not worse, than active drinking, and sometimes I feel guilty for that. Uh, thanks, Leslie, for, for that suggestion. And again, I'm going to reach out to you, my listener, and say if you have experience with that situation, whether you have answers or just experience, please share it with us so that, that we can share it with others who are in that place. Because I know before I, definitely before I came to program, I felt like nobody else understood what was going on, that my situation was unique and that, that there, maybe there was something wrong with me because of it. And when I started to hear other people share their own situation and to realize that, that I was not unique, that I was not alone, even that helped. And of course, then I started to hear ways in which people had dealt with similar situations and that helped even more. So please share your own experience, strength and hope with us using the, uh, the voicemail or the email, therecoveryshow.com slash contact to, to see how to get in touch with us. Thanks. Thanks, Leslie. I want to close with a voicemail from Lorianne about forgiveness. Hi, my name is Lorianne, and I wanted to actually use my voice to leave some feedback rather than write another email. Uh, thank you so much for tonight's episode. It, this is actually two nights ago, um, but ironically, my phone kept popping up and telling me that there was a new podcast, one that I actually needed to hear very much. And just to share a little bit, but I'm struggling with a, a resentment that has resurfaced with my mom. And it's just interesting. I, I've, I'm 45. I started my recovery journey in my late 30s. And the approach I took was trying to uh, be accountable for the, the wreckage that I created in my own relationships and becoming my mother. And as I started recovery early on, I, I managed to forgive my mother. Alanon has helped me realize how much I've blocked out. And um, I, I guess you could say I, I skipped over <laughs> looking deeper 
at my resentments, and um, I just carried on with the intent of saying, you know what, I know she did the best she could, and I want to do the best I can to be the daughter that, that I would like to be. And, and I did that for quite some time. And in the last year and a half, I've come to realize that, that she is still in her own sickness. And I was in denial about that. I found you mentioned in in your sharing today about um, forgiveness and, and condoning, and, and that wasn't my intent to condone her behavior growing up and, and a lot of abusiveness. But I've come to realize that that it was received as as that I was giving her permission to do it, and it wasn't until I started observing same behaviors happening again, and I've become more aware and, and um, gotten a lot firmer with my boundaries. And of course, in doing that, I'm getting a lot of um, <laughs> un- uh, discontented feedback from her, and it hurts. I- I've come to realize this, and it-, it is a definitely a part of my own recovery, and that's why I needed to share this because I'm sitting here saying, "Why am I redoing this again?" I, I-, I- no, I forgave her from the best place I could in my heart. And I really did. And at that point, uh, Google cut her off at three minutes. But thank you, Lorianne, for your sharing. And that is, that is for me, a, a hard part about forgiveness is when maybe the object of my forgiveness is, is taking it in the permission condoning way then rather than understanding that I forgave the past behavior, but I'm not going to accept that behavior going forward. That can be very hard. So thanks for your share. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses, which run about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like, well, nobody did this week, but I want to thank everybody who has supported us in the past. We have put together a list of recovery-related books. Click on the books link at the top of the page in the menu. If you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, we will receive a small commission. In fact, anything you order from Amazon after clicking on one of the links will help us. It costs you nothing extra and helps to keep us on the air. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it. Whether it's sharing the podcast with your friends, direct them to therecoveryshow.com, or just listening to us, we are here for you. And the final song selection is the song Honesty, performed by Beyonce. This actually is a Billy Joel song, but uh, we're going to go with her performance. Some lyrics here. Honesty is such a lonely word. Everyone is so untrue. Honesty is hardly ever heard, and mostly what I need from you. Maybe what we heard today can help us in our path towards practicing rigorous honesty in our recovery. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.